Gracious and loving God, we thank you for calling us into this place today to worship you, uh, to praise you, to uh, celebrate your resurrection and celebrate what it means for us, Lord. We pray that as we continue to worship in this place, that you would be with us in your spirit, that we might worship you in spirit and truth. Fill us with the desire to see you glorified and lifted up, Lord, and we pray that in all the things we think, say, and you, you would be glorified in all those things, Lord. We pray all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Good morning. I am Pastor Tom, and I want to welcome you here for, uh, well, for this Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen Amen. All right. Well, before we get started uh, with my portion, I thought I'd let you know about a few things that are going on around here. First of all, if you are visiting with us, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper in your bulletin, and we will uh, follow up with you accordingly. If you did not get a bulletin, I believe there's a stack of them back there by the door. Um, and uh, in your bulletin today, there is a blank piece of paper. We have a tradition here at Hope where we give you the opportunity uh, during the time of offering and communion, when you come forward, you can just put... Uh, you can write on a piece of paper anything that's going on in your life that you want to give to God. This is completely anonymous, and you can just put it in there, and then I will actually light them all on fire probably later today or uh, tomorrow. Um, but uh, nobody reads them. It's just between you and God. And so if you've got something you'd like to just offload or praise him for or whatever, you can just put it on that piece of paper drop it in this little pail on your way by when you come up later um, during the time of communion, and uh, I'll take it from there. So, all right. Also, a good way to communicate prayer requests with us is this also on this form in your bulletin. Just uh, fill that out and let us know what's going on in your life and how we can be in prayer for you. We take those very seriously and actually appreciate it when people share those things with us and we can be in prayer for what's going on in the real world. Um, all right, so a couple things let's talk about. We have, after church today, we have an Easter egg hunt. Yes, it should be fun. Should be fun. Maybe next year we'll have an adult Easter egg hunt as well. Sort of a full contact Easter egg hunt or something. I don't know. We'll see. Calvin's, Calvin's like, yes, yes, please. Yes, please. Um, then let's see. We have uh, a couple of different groups that are forming that are already kind of starting to meet uh, for Christ-centered relationships. And we have a group of women that is meeting on Monday nights for that purpose. Uh, we have a group of men that meet on Wednesday nights for that purpose. Uh, and then we have a Tuesday night Zoom Bible study that's off on a break this week, but will resume another presumably six-week run uh, from that point uh, next week. That's on Tuesday nights. That's when our Tuesday night Zoom Bible study is. It's on Tuesday, yes. Um, then, let's see, we have a men's night coming up on the 14th. That's this Friday, right? Anyone? Anyone? Yes, yes this Friday. So we will, we will cook. We will start uh, getting stuff ready around 5. You're welcome to come up and hang out at that point. We will serve dinner somewhere around 7-ish, ish. And then we will gather for fellowship and some Bible study and discussion after that. So that's coming up Friday. We have a congregational meeting a week from today on our actual birthday, believe it or not. Hope Church was born April 16th of 2000. Woohoo! Um, we'll have a congregational meeting right here after church. 
We will give you an update on all things uh, going on, at least in terms of uh, how things are going budget-wise, et cetera. We have a, an election of officers will be held at that meeting. You'll be voting for your deacons and elders, um, and then maybe a couple other things that'll just, you know, we'll throw in there no extra charge. Yeah. So, um, but that's a week from today. Then um, we are having an elder care lunch at the end of the month on April the 30th after church. Just mark your calendars for now. We'll have more information on that coming up. Uh, when we get closer, but uh, what am I forgetting? Is that it? All right. Well, why don't we just have all the important people come down to the front? If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you up for our children's chat at this time before you go to Hope for Kids. <coughs> Good morning. Yeah, coloring. How's everybody doing? Well, happy Easter. Why do we celebrate Easter? Well, Yes, we, we're, it's, yeah, that's a great point. Do we, do we celebrate Jesus' death? Well, so Easter is the celebration of his resurrection. So after he died, he came back to life on a Sunday morning, first day of the week. He came back to life. Yeah, well, he died because he loved us. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And that means that God has the power of life. And so we celebrate Easter because Jesus demonstrated to us that his love is stronger than even death. It's the strongest thing in the universe. Did you know that? The strongest force in the universe is love. That's pretty cool. So, yes. The two dinosaurs are watching me? Okay. So, can you tell me what a promise is? What's a promise? Yeah. Okay. So, someone tells you they're going to do something, and then hopefully they do it. They've made a promise, and then you expect them to do what they said they were going to do, right? Yes, sir. Trust. You have to trust someone who makes a promise that they're going to do what they said they were going to do. Yes, I know. You and Jack are cousins. That's cool. Jack is rocking a fedora this morning. All right. So, <coughs> where was I? <laughs> a promise. That's right. A promise. So, if I promised you that after church today, there would be an awesome Easter egg hunt, what would you expect to see when you go outside after church today? Eggs. You better, there better be eggs, because I'm promising you there's going to be an awesome Easter egg hunt after church today, right? So when, when someone promises something, you, you have to trust that what they say is going to come true. So I want you to hear this. This is, from, this is from a very old person. All right, His name was Jeremiah. And he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel. So God made a promise to his people. Do you think he's going to keep his promise? Yes. And what God promised was that his son would be born, would live a human life without ever doing anything bad, which is pretty hard to do, because I didn't do it. Did you? Have you done it? Yeah. No, me neither, right? We all do things that are bad. That's a, that's, God still loves us, right? And he sent his son so that he could pay for our sins, 
And then when his son paid for our sins with his life, God raised him from the dead on Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday. And that was God fulfilling his promise that he would send his son to bring us forgiveness and grace and peace and love and all the good things that come from God. And God kept his promise. Jesus is the way that God kept his promise. And that's why we celebrate Easter, because Jesus was the way God kept his promise. He came, he lived, he never sinned, he even, he even made dinosaurs. Can you believe that? He does have dinosaurs. I, I think this is a good time to pray. You're okay. It's all good. I like dinosaurs. I'm totally down with them. And you're doing a good job of coloring that, by the way. You're off to a good start. All right. How about, okay, so I promised you Easter eggs. So after church, you'll probably go outside and find Easter eggs. God promised, God promised forgiveness and grace and peace and love and eternal life. And who brought that promise? On the very first Easter Sunday, God's people went to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And was he there? No, he'd been raised from the dead. Oh, we'll have baskets for you after church. Or if you brought your own, that's great. You really need more of a garbage bag in this scenario, but we can, we'll help you out. No, just a big bag to hold your Easter eggs, because there's so many. They're going to be spilling out of your basket. How about we pray? Dear God, we thank you that you are the God who keeps his promises that you made promises to your people long, long ago that you would send a Savior, one who would come to this earth, who would live a life with no sin, and who would offer that life as a sacrifice for our forgiveness. We thank you that he did not stay in the grave, but that he rose again to demonstrate to us that you are the God who has power over life. And so, Lord, we thank you for that gift, for keeping your promise, and I pray your blessing over these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them through your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray for their teachers. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. I'm glad you're here. Jack, what kind of dinosaurs do you have? What kind? Is that a... I don't think that... I think that's an Acrocanthosaurus. But hope for kids is that way. Look, they're all leaving. I mean, we can stay and talk dinosaurs all day long. I survived. God is good. All right. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we open your word, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning. And Father, we... um, We lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to hear you this morning. We give you our our sins, our disappointments, our failings, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift to you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses. And we pray your healing mercies over those we know and love. Lord, we lift to you our country at every level of government, those elected and appointed, 
And we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We ask you would watch over and protect them. We pray that you would especially be with those who are in harm's way. Bring them home safely. And Lord, we lift up those who've returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they made for our freedoms. And we pray that you would use us, your church, to minister your healing to them, mind, body, and soul. We lift up uh, your church here at Hope around the world this morning as churches all over the world assemble to honor and glorify you and celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We just pray your blessing over all of those places where your word is going forth in this world, and we just pray that it would not return to you empty. We lift up those missions that we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, in Cuba, in Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East, and we just pray your blessing over all those works. We lift up the church plants that are going on in our denomination in Texas, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas, and we just pray your your hand upon those young works. And Lord, we thank you again for this time to be together. We pray that you would speak to us through your holy word by your spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we are uh, in the, well, we're starting a new series of messages today, and it's called Crystallized. Uh, We're looking this time at the New Testament And what we're trying to do is simply or simplify the New Testament down into a few basic themes. What are the central themes of the New Testament? What is the message that God is trying to convey? What is he saying to us in this portion of his word? Some of you may remember we did a series called Crystallized on the Old Testament, um, back in January, and we looked at seven different ways in which the, the, the themes of the Old Testament present themselves and play out. And now we're going to do something very similar, but for the New Testament. And so in preparing this, uh, we thought it would be good to start with the theme of fulfillment. One of the themes of the Old Testament was God's covenant promise. Uh, to his people. And so as we look at the New Testament, um, we're going to begin with this idea of fulfillment. How did God fulfill the promises that he made to us in the Old Testament? So, <clears throat> all right. Hey, Kevin, if we are uh, screenless, can you make sure everybody has a bulletin? Can you just walk around with some of the bulletins if anybody doesn't have one? Just raise your hand and Kevin will bring you one if you don't have one. Um, or if you prefer, you can reach under the pew in front of you or the chair in front of you and grab a Bible and try to follow along, but we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Um, you're going to have to reach back. Yes. Okay. Um, so, all right. The theme that we're looking at today is that of fulfillment, and we're going to start with an Old Testament verse, just one verse. I read it to the kids. But it's from Jeremiah 33:14, and it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So just to be clear, God throughout the Old Testament has been promising something for his people. That something is ultimately the Messiah, the one who would come to bring peace and rest to the souls of God's people. And so we have this idea embedded in the Old Testament that God is promising something and that he will eventually fulfill his word. So we come to the first book of the New Testament in the first chapter, and you will see these words in the Gospel of Matthew starting In the second half of verse 20, I'll just read them now. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So you can see that from the very beginning of the New Testament, there is this idea built in to the fabric of the New Testament that God has or is fulfilling his word, that he has made all these promises through his prophets and the Old Testament, and he is now about the business of fulfilling them. And you see the angel talking to Joseph and telling him what uh, is going on so that he would understand that God is fulfilling his promise through his soon-to-be son, Jesus Christ. All right. And just in case you're wondering, there's about 12 more times in the Gospel of Matthew, that's just the first of the four Gospels, where Matthew uses that language of, this took place to fulfill. He, he says that phrase about a dozen more times in his Gospel. Um, he's very interested in the ways in which the person of Jesus Christ is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies about God's promises to bring forgiveness to his people. Um, then there's the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, which may actually be the most important words of fulfillment in the New Testament, and I'll read those to you now. Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so you see Jesus actually articulating that he understands his purpose is to fulfill the promises of God. That God made these promises that he would send a Messiah, that he would atone for his people's sins, that he would bring peace to the hearts of his children. And Jesus fully understands his mission. His mission is to fulfill all of God's promises. I want to uh, jump over now to the Gospel of John, and this will get us directly into the, the Easter story, if you will. And I'm gonna, I've just clipped some excerpts from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. I encourage you to read the whole thing, to read the whole Easter story as it, as it occurs here or anywhere else in the Bible. But for now, for the sake of space and time, I've just sort of clipped out the, the important little vignettes from the Easter story that apply mostly to this idea of fulfillment. So we're going to come first to a scene where Jesus is on the cross and the soldiers who've, who've performed this, this uh, incredibly cruel method of, of execution are now trying to figure out what to do with his clothing. Um, and so they have a problem because apparently Jesus had pretty nice underwear. I'm just saying, you'll see it in here. That's supposed to be funny. You can laugh. You're, thank you. All right. Okay. So I'm going to read first from John 19, verses 23 and 24, and then we're just going to keep going all the way through uh, these little clips. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. Also, his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. And I'll just pause right there. A thousand years old earlier, King David penned a psalm. We call it Psalm 22. And in that psalm, he literally said, they divide my garments among them. They cast lots for my clothing. And he's talking about being pierced. He talks about being pierced in that passage. He talks about being thirsty. He talks about the agony of being in the throes of death. And a thousand years later, Jesus is, is literally on the cross watching this psalm come back to life in front of him. Amazingly, when he 
when he was on the cross, one of the things that he cried out before he died was very simply this. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that is, that is verse 1 of Psalm 22, written a thousand years before him. And so he quotes it, and then he literally watches the rest of that psalm be realized, be lived out in front of him as he is dying. It's just one of the most amazing fulfillments in the Bible. And so here we have this depiction of the soldiers doing the exact thing that King David somehow visualized a thousand years before. So I'm going to keep going from uh, now I'm in John 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And then moving to verse 34, the, there, was, there were two problems that, that emerge if you read this whole passage. Um, one is very simply that it, it's, the sun is about to set. Jesus was put on the cross somewhere between noon and one, and the sun is now about to set, and he is, he's passed away, and the Jewish people want to get their dead buried before sunset because you can't work once the sun sets on a Friday. And <coughs> so there's this urgency, and this is going to sound really terrible, but it was considered a mercy in this time period. You could, a crucifixion could, could last for days, actually. A person who was uh, in good shape and good health could, could actually linger there for a couple of days, two or sometimes three days. And so the sun's about to set. There's an urgency among the Jewish people to get their dead down and buried so they can go have their Sabbath. And at that point, uh, the, two, the two individuals on either side of Christ who were being crucified um, are, <laughs> excuse me, this is a little bit bizarre, a little bit graphic, but the Roman soldiers come by and break their legs. And that sounds terrible, but that would, have, that would have brought their life to a quick end because they could no longer stand up to breathe and their crucifixion would take its course much more quickly. They get to Jesus and they realize there's no need to break any bones because he's already gone. He'd, he'd already gone through enough suffering that day that his crucifixion did not last very long. And then you hear these words, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. So you can see as John is telling this account of Jesus' last moments that he has this eye towards fulfillment, towards making sure that the reader understands that everything that unfolds in this account is unfolding for a reason, according to a plan, according to the prophecies that have come before. And it is important to note that in the book of Exodus, in chapter 12, where the Passover lamb is described, uh, it specifically says that the Passover lamb cannot have a broken bone. It must be in good shape. It must be uh, healthy. It must not have any broken bones. And, and so there is this beautiful convergence of the death of Christ as our Passover lamb and the, the demonstration by John that he had not a broken bone, that he is the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. 
And John understood this. He understood the implications. He understood the prophecies. He understood the purpose behind what was unfolding before him. And it is also important to note that even some of the other Gospels name John as having been a witness to the crucifixion of Christ. Not all of the disciples would have been there, but John, in fact, was standing right there with Jesus' mother. So, let me take you to the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read verses 44 through 48. And this is Jesus speaking to some of his followers after he is resurrected from the dead. And so, he is, he's been walking with these two men, talking with them, interacting with them, and then he reveals to them who he is, the resurrected Christ, and he says this. Then he, asked, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So here's a a collection of scriptures from the New Testament that are all looking at the ways in which Jesus fulfilled God's promises to his people. And so I just want to take us through what we can sort of glean from these verses this morning. And first, this the New Testament is a call for each one of us to seek the fulfillment of God's word. To, to look at who Jesus is and what Jesus did and to determine for ourselves whether or not he is the fulfillment of God's word, that we should seek that question, we should seek the answer to that question, we should look for the promised one, that is the one that God promised from long before That promised one, we're told in Matthew, uh, as the angel speaks to Joseph, we learn that Jesus was born to save us. That is literally what the name Jesus means. It means he saves. God saves us. So Matthew, from the very beginning, is interested in the ways in which the birth of Jesus even is a fulfillment of the word of God that Jesus was born to save us and at the same time Jesus is God with us this is hugely important and I I don't know that I could overemphasize this point so God tells Joseph through this angel that the son that's going to be born to Mary, a son is a human, a physical human being, is going to also be a spiritual, eternal, holy being that we call God. That this baby will be both human and divine. He's not, he's not a created, he's not a, a God. He is the one true God who became human, who took on flesh who was born of a virgin this is an immensely important component of who christ is that he is the fulfillment of god's word that he is both fully human and fully god so we see this from the very beginning that he is the promised one we're to look for the promised one and god wants us to find the promised one Jesus is not hiding from us. It will feel that way at times in life, I can assure you. uh, It will feel that way. But in reality, he's right here. He's all around us. He's talking to us through his word, through his people. 
he, God wants us to find the promised one. He wants us to follow the details. So this whole connection to Psalm 22, I, I really encourage you in your own time this week as you reflect uh, over coffee or in, in bed at night or whenever, just open your Bible, read two chapters. Read Psalm 22 and read John chapter 19. And just watch how powerfully they dovetail into each other. Because what you're seeing are these incredibly uh, small details that are in both of these scriptures that are brought forth in perfect harmony. It's, 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 uh, it's really, it's miraculous is not too strong of a term. That David, a thousand years before his descendant Jesus would be born, would somehow be able to pen these words that actually play out as Jesus is on the cross. It's remarkable. And the details are there. And God wants us to, to engage them, to read them, to think about them for ourselves. What does this mean? If, if there's a God who can predict the future, who can overcome death itself, what does this mean for us? It means that we belong to someone who is all-powerful, who can do anything, who can overcome every obstacle in our lives. And that, well, we'll get, we'll get back to that in a moment. But the other thing I want you to see in this passage, particularly in Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus is the point of all Scripture. The entire Bible, although it's written by dozens of different people over, over hundreds of, well, thousands of different years, it is a unified whole, and it all points to one person. The Bible is either pointing forward to the person of Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, or it's describing him, his life, death, and resurrection, or it's pointing, it's pulling, it's sort of growing out of who he was, what he did, his death and his resurrection. All of it either is pointing to him or growing out of what he did. It's all about Jesus. And I'll, I'll just tell you this, um, you know, I hope, I hope that you find uh, resources in your life that are helpful to your faith. Um, and some of those may be online. Uh, here's your litmus test really simple. If you're doing Bible study and the Bible study goes through a series of questions about God's word, great. We should be asking questions. That's good. But if it never gets to the connection between the text and Jesus, that Bible study is not Christian. It might be Bible study. Like, what does it say? Good question. What does it say you ought to be doing? Also not a bad question. How well do you do that? How can you do that better? It never gets to the person of Jesus Christ. The purpose of engaging God's word is to wind up at the foot of the cross, looking up and beholding the God who loves you, who went that far to gain your forgiveness, to extend to you grace, peace, joy, <laughs> all the things you cannot attain for yourself. That's what God gives us. That's the purpose of engaging his word, is to find his son. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done for you, for us. So we must seek the fulfillment of God's word. Open the Bible. Read it. Look at the details. Ask the question, how does this passage connect to the cross? Then we're to claim that fulfillment of God's word, to accept for ourselves who Jesus is, to accept his finished work on the cross. John 19, 30, very important words. As Jesus is passing away, he, he asks for a sip of something because he's so thirsty he cannot speak. They give him a little bit of 
vinegar, and he has just enough energy to say, it is finished. It's over. I'm done. My work is complete. What that means for you and for me, our forgiveness is complete. The work needed to make us right with God is finished. It's done. You are forgiven. You may not feel like a holy person or even a whole person. Neither do I. Right? We are not the basis of our standing before God. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. And he said, he's done. You're good. You're forgiven. You have been changed because he finished his work as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the broken bone illusion that John is giving in this account, that there's no broken bone just like the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, the Lamb that brings atonement to to God's people. And so we are to accept his finished work as the Lamb of God for our forgiveness. Okay. How long has God been at his job? Okay, since before there was actually time, right? Um, And so he's been at it. He gets to the cross, and what does he say? It's finished. I've done what I came here to do. And we are given this, this something that I don't know that I can fully define. But let's start with forgiveness. He has forgiven me for every ugly, selfish thing I've ever done. He has also forgiven others who have done ugly, selfish things against me. And he has forgiven all kinds of people of every possible conceivable kind of sin. If you think, after you look at the cross, that there is anything in your life that stands between you and a loving God, you're wrong. You are forgiven. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, laid down his life for you, that you could be free forgiven, and know that you're loved. We are to accept his finished work on the cross, and we are to also accept his resurrection from the dead. The miracle of Easter is not that Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. That would have been enough. But he went past that. He came back from the grave and established for us the hope of eternal life. You're not just forgiven you're forgiven and you are given a place in God's presence for eternity he defeated your sin and its consequence being death when he came back from the grave and he gives you eternal life he demonstrated in real time that he is not bound by the limitation of death. His love transcends the grave, and you are called into eternal life, true freedom. Think about that for a moment. What does Jesus free us from? Right? There's the the burden of all my own sin. We talked about that. It's forgiven. It's his, his work to atone for that is finished. There's all of the things that have been done against me in this life. 
And we all have this built-in uh, system of justice in our minds, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. When you are wronged, you know it. And if you're like me, uh, you, you may speak up about it. Whether you're right or not doesn't seem to matter in my case. Um, and all of this has been overcome on the cross. He's not just taken away my sin. He is, he is taken away all the guilt, all the fear, all the shame, all the anger, all of the aspects of my own heart that are incomplete. He's finished. His work in me is complete. I don't fully realize that every day, but here we are in this state of spiritual freedom. That is yours to claim in Christ. Seek him, claim him, and spread the fulfillment of God's word in this world. Open the scriptures with others. Engage in God's word with other people in your life. Seek understanding together and demonstrate when you open God's word how it all connects to the cross, to his son, to Jesus. cannot emphasize that point enough when you open God's word the the biggest question is simply this how does this passage connect to the cross maybe it's a passage that talks about I don't know fear Psalm 52 um, and it helps me realize that I have fear, that I'm, I live in a, in a broken world where things can happen that I won't like. And yet, that very fear points me to the cross, to my need for love, for security, for hope. And so, whatever it is that you find in your Bible, just ask the simple question, how does this point to Jesus? And as you open the scriptures with others, as you seek understanding and you draw those connections, share Jesus with others. Share his love. That means be practical. Show up. Be loving. Be kind. Uh, yes, in the words of the prophet Tatum Townsend, I don't care what you believe, just be nice. <laughs> did, I, did I quote you right? All right, just making sure. Um, and and I, I say that, you know, someone of, of your generation, you spend so much time on social media, it's just part of your world, it's part of your reality. I don't really live there, right? But no one's being nice in that venue, right? It's all activism and anger and, and just, you know, whatever, tumult. And at some point, you just got to stop. Be like, can we just be nice? Can we do that? That'd be nice. Let's just be nice. How about that? And just the practical nature of what God is calling you to, it's, it's really simple. Be loving, be nice. If you're gonna share Jesus with someone else, all you really have to be able to talk about is what you've seen him do in your own life. What change has he brought about in you? It's simple. Uh, peace, forgiveness, Grace, understanding, love. Be able to talk about what you've seen him do in your own life. 
and be able to talk about how he reshapes who you are. Luke 24, 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. When I stand at the foot of the cross and I look up and I see what he was willing to do to bring about my forgiveness, to complete his work in my own dark soul, I suddenly have a new perspective. I understand what love is. I understand what sacrifice is. I understand who I am. Apart from the, the lies I've been telling myself my whole life, you've got them too. They just play on repeat. And God says, I, I have redefined who you are. What other people say about you, what you say about yourself, that's not the truth. The truth is, I love you. I went to the cross to redeem you from all of what besets you, to forgive you, to atone for your sins, to bring you peace and love and eternal life. These are the things that define who we are. As we seek the fulfillment of God's word, as we claim the fulfillment of God's word in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and as we proclaim to each other in really simple terms who is the fulfillment of the word of God. It is Jesus Christ who is raised from the dead. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word from the details to the eternal consequence of what's there that you have ordered things in such a way that our hearts may know who it is that has fulfilled your word and finished the work of atoning for our sins, that we may know him, claim him, and express his love to those around us. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may live in such a way that your light shines more brightly in this dark and hurting world. We pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.